turn with me then, if you will, to our text this morning, which comes from Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 to 18. Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 to 18. Hear with me then the reading of God's Word. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Thus far as the reading of God's Word. So I asked the question, what makes us as Christians look like the world? Paul has already described to the Philippians this perfect example of humility found in Christ who was obedient unto the point of death. Paul then goes on to describe to the saints in Philippi how they were to obey as those who have been saved by God in verses 12 and 13. And we said it was to be done with fear and trembling, with reverence for God and understanding what an awesome thing salvation is. And we said that this work that they were called to be active in was one that they could only do in the power of God after He had given them new inclinations in regeneration. And now in our text this morning, Paul will give specific examples on how we are to work out this salvation. But what all that Paul describes in our text here today has in common is that he is describing what it is to be unlike the world, unlike this crooked and twisted generation as he calls it. And this crooked generation that we live in today is one in which they think that they are standing upon some sort of moral high ground. right? And they look down upon everyone who doesn't agree with them And they say, you must believe as we believe. And if you don't acknowledge what we say is good and right, then we will will silence you. Because your beliefs and your practices are dangerous to this world that we want to live in. Yet it's comical if you think about it. Pagans, whose morality can change at the drop of a hat, telling believers how it is we are to think and how we are to practice our faith. Yet this has been the case throughout all of history. We can think back to, for example, Daniel chapter 3 with King Nebuchadnezzar. And we're told in Daniel chapter 3 that he built this massive golden image, 60 cubits high, which by comparison is 90 feet tall. So think of two and a half telephone poles stacked on top of each other. What a great image. And he commanded that all upon the hearing of the trumpet sound or any music were to bow down and were to worship this image. And if they refused to worship the image, they were to be cast into the fiery furnace. And even today, Christians are being told that we must conform and worship the idols this world has established. That we must bow down before them. The the God of their own creation. A God who uh, wants you to just be happy. To be fulfilled in your life. To just be who you are. Whoever that is you believe it to be. And if you don't, If you don't agree with this, if you don't bow down and worship the God of this world, they will threaten to kick us out of our buildings, to take away our tax-exempt status, 
to slander our good name, to perhaps arrest some. The fiery furnace, though, brothers and sisters, has changed. No longer is it a a physical furnace, but now it is a, a figurative fiery furnace in which we are in. And their plan is to make the fire so strong, so overwhelming, so overpowering, that we would succumb to the peer pressure. That we would say, okay, you win. You tell us what you want us to believe and that is what we will believe. That is what we will teach. But just as long as we have had examples in human history of Christians being persecuted and being told to bow down before foreign kings and foreign gods, for just as long as that has occurred, true Christians, true believers have always said, no, no matter the repercussions. And so turn to Daniel chapter 3 with me and we will see the response of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. As you turn, I will just briefly give you a little background. If you recall, we are told that the Chaldeans uh, went before King Nebuchadnezzar and maliciously accused them of not bowing down before the image. And so King Nebuchadnezzar, out of anger, then calls these three men before him and gives them an option. Either you bow down and worship the image or you suffer the consequence of the fiery furnace. And in Daniel chapter 3, verses 16 through 18, we have their response. So here's the response of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And He will deliver us out of your hand, O King. But if not, be it known to you, O King, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. You see, brothers and sisters, just because something was declared right and good by the King did not mean that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were to abandon their God, to abandon His commandments, His statutes, and His Word. And if it meant death for them, so be it. We have already covered it in this very epistle. Paul is in prison for proclaiming Christ and proclaiming the resurrection of Christ. And all his captors wanted him to do was to stop proclaiming Christ. And so, very easily, Paul could have succumbed to that pressure and more than likely he would have been set free. He would have been let go. But he too was all too eager and willing to suffer and die than rather abandon His God. And so I ask, do we in this day and age have conviction such as this? Because it is when we cave to the pressures of this world, when we change our standard of morality to conform to theirs, that we begin to look just like the world. Because this world really has no standard or basis upon which they change their morality. It's kind of majority rules or whoever has the louder voice. And so it changes, it evolves, it circles back and it changes again. But for the Christian, what constitutes morality for you and I comes from God. It is not subjective. It is not arbitrary. It is not something that, that is established by popular opinion. But rather, it reflects the very character and nature of our God. And God does not change. So our morals Likewise, do not change. What a great thing it is to worship the unchanging God of Scripture. And so although the world adapts their morality whenever it seems necessary, 
We do not. And yet often, when we people who at one time confessed Christ and at one time held to the standard that His moral law was perpetual and unchanging, when pressured by the outside world, easily and quickly caved to the pressure. Right? They're afraid to be outcasted by their peers. They're afraid of the backlash. But as Christians, we serve God. We do not serve man. And so we are to uphold His Word no matter the results. And so in service to Him, we do not shrink back. We do not cower. We do not alter our moral stance based on its consequences. And we must be willing to do so at any expense so that this dark world will see light. And as Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 28, that in doing so, it will be evidence to them of their destruction, of their reprobation. And so our goal today is to look at this text and see what Paul says that characterizes the Christian in contrast to the perverse world. How we are to stand out from it and not fall victim to its deception. And so the first way Paul says that we stand out from this world is found in verse 14, where he says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing. You see, this world is all about grumbling or complaining is another way to say it. And this world is all about disputing, which could be characterized as being argumentative. And we see this throughout all of life. You can turn your television on. And what are some of the most popular shows you can find? It's usually like those news stations where all they do is argue. They argue with people on the other, on the other aisle, the other position, and they try to dispute one another whose ideas are better. They, they talk poorly about the other side. But these are the TV shows that have the highest ratings. This is what people want to watch. This is entertainment for them. This is what they like. This is why if you've ever seen a, if you've ever seen a public argument take place, usually there aren't people coming in trying to defuse the situation, but rather they gather in a circle and they watch what's going on. It's entertainment for us. We like this kind of behavior. And even complaining. Who doesn't have a complaint to make in our day? Husbands against wives. Wives against husbands. Siblings against siblings. Students against teachers. Employees against employers. Everyone feels slighted. Everyone has an opinion about how things should be. Everyone knows what is best. Yet doesn't this sound familiar uh, to the Israelites in the wilderness in Exodus 16? If you remember, they're, they're led out into the wilderness by Moses and Aaron. And we're told that they begin to grumble. And they say, have you taken us out to the wilderness to die? We have no food, no drink. It would have been better if we stayed in Egypt. Because although we were slaves, at least we were fed. At least we had something to drink. Yet, what was the response to this? Turn, if you will, then to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1 and 10, and we can see what was the result of this grumbling. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1 through 10. Here's what Paul says. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. 
Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. You see, brothers and sisters, they were destroyed. For complaining is the opposite of humility. It is pride. It stops trusting in Christ and it starts trusting in oneself. And so as believers, we are not to gauge in such actions that stem from pride. This is why Paul says, do all things without grumbling and without disputing. Not, we're not to do some things, but all things. Because complaining and disputing is to be engaged in sin. They describe to us the contentious person, the person who always wants to be in debate. But in light of what we've been learning over the last few weeks, why do you think that this is wrong? In light of what Paul has been saying to us, well, because it does not look to the advantage of our neighbor. Remember what we have been learning about humility. The one who complains, the one who grumbles, the one who disputes is not looking to the benefit of their neighbor, but only looking to the benefit and advantage of themselves. Right? This is not counting others more significant than yourselves. This is being like the world. And this is opposite to what Paul has directed us in this very epistle. This is opposite to what the Lord Himself tells us. If you recall in Matthew chapter 26, when the Pharisees and Sadducees come before Jesus and they say, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment? What was Jesus' response in verse 37? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so, brothers and sisters, we violate this command when we are not peaceable with our neighbor. When we cause division in the body, when we stir up controversy by standing in the corners of the room gossiping about one another, when we slander our brothers and sisters' good name upon a rumor maybe that we hear. Right? Remember, the ninth commandment is not just a prohibition against speaking falsely, but it is also our Christian duty to not sit by idly and listen as someone else speaks ill of our brother and sister. Rather, it is our duty to stand up for them in their good name. Right? This past week when I was in Ohio, I was talking to, to Dabney, our brother in Christ, and literally my brother. And we were talking about this very thing, this ninth commandment. And he brought up to me this... Uh, the, the example of St. Augustine, that he had this carving in, in his table and it was a rule upon which everyone who sat at his table must abide by. And so I went home and I, I tried to find kind of the whole story. And so I found it in a book called Augustine in His Own Words. And so I want to share this example with you. And so on page one, 104, we have this story recounted by a man named Pasidius who was a friend of Augustine. And he tells us that Augustine made this policy at his dinner table to protect against the sinfulness of man. And so, Pisidius describes an inscription Augustine carved into his table. And it said this, 
Whoever slanders the name of an absent friend may not as a guest at this table attend. Whoever slanders the name of an absent friend may not as a guest at this table attend. And Pasidius goes on to describe that if someone transgressed this rule he had, that Augustine would rebuke them and say, either this inscription must be removed from the table or I will remove myself and go to my room. What conviction over godliness? Do we have conviction such as this? We as a church must stand out from the world. The world says, I only care about myself. I only love myself. I will do and say anything about someone else if it will benefit me. And when we engage in complaining about others, we look no different than the world. Imagine if we had visitors coming in and we were standing amongst ourselves speaking ill of others. Is that what we want people to see here at this church? And so we must learn to be careful with how we speak and ask ourselves, what is the purpose for which I'm about to say this? Am I saying, if, if, and what am I about to say? Is it for my benefit? To make myself feel better, yet it might harm my neighbor? Is what I'm about to say something that is going to edify the church? If I hear a rumor, do I spread that rumor? Or do I, have I gone to my brother and have I asked them, hey, I heard this, is this true? Or do I just go along passing it on and allowing it to be passed on about my brother? Perhaps if we stopped and we took the time to consider such things, there would be far less problems in the church today. All churches, all over the world. We ought to say to ourselves, I'm only going to do things and say things that are to the advantage and benefit of my neighbor. Because I love my neighbor as myself. Because they too are God's adopted children. They too belong to God's spiritual kingdom. They too belong to the body of Christ. And I never want to do anything to injure the body. to make that dim the light of Christ in us. We are not to live like this darkened world, but we are to be far removed from any mention of such things being associated with our name. Remember, as Paul has told us uh, in his epistle to the Colossians, the Father has removed us from that domain of darkness. And we have now been transferred into this glorious light, into the kingdom of the beloved Son. And so, what does Paul say now? He tells us that we are to live blameless, and innocent in this world, in this crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. You see, brothers and sisters, as long as we live in this world, we are going to live intermingled with unbelievers. Yet, was this not true of Christ Himself? Yet Christ was blameless and innocent. This was even testified to by Pilate. He says, I find no guilt. I find no fault in this man. Every charge cast upon Christ was a lie. There was no veracity to it. This is how we as saints live distinct from this world. Having blameless character. Living lives that no matter what character assassination is thrown at us, it does not stick. It does not stick. Yet Christ as high priest was blameless and innocent in a way that you and I could never be. In Hebrews, describing Christ as our High priest, the author says in chapter 7, verse 26 and 27, For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, 
innocent, unstained, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people since he did this once and for all when he offered up himself. You see, Christ as high priest was the spotless lamb, the only offering and sacrifice that would be acceptable before God. And in that sacrifice, through the shedding of His blood, you and I have been reconciled to the Father. And now we are called, as children of God, to be blameless and innocent in this crooked and twisted world. Right? The one who was without blemish, Christ. As Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19, Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from our forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that lamb without blemish or spot. And now, in light of what Christ has done, Paul is saying to saints, do you want to know how to live unlike the world? Simply live as you have been called. Live as children of God, obedient to the word of your Master, following the example of Christ, living unlike the world. And how does Paul describe the world? He says it's crooked and it's twisted. Crooked, which has this meaning of being unjust or dishonest. Uh, twisted, having the meaning of uh, being to pervert or literally to become misshapen. And isn't this true of this generation and every generation that preceded it? They have become misshapen by the lie. And the father of lies, Satan, the one who is dishonest and unjust, And so all who follow after Him are liars just like their father as they have taken in the lie. The lie that they don't need forgiveness. That they don't need a Savior. That they are an authority all to themselves. That this life is about their happiness and fulfilling all of their desires. And all this is done is to continue to misshape them. You see, brothers and sisters, because of sin, you and I, everyone born upon this earth, has become misshapen. Yet the Lord tells us that if we believe in Him, He will make straight our ways. He will make straight our ways because we are misshapen. We all need to be straightened. And so there are a million and one different paths to hell. right? And everyone is down one of them. Yet there is only one way. There is only one path to eternal glory. Only one path to heaven. And we are told that that is Christ who is the way, the truth, and the life. And so the children of wrath are those who are going down all these separate paths to hell, who are living in this crooked and twisted generation. They delight in being dishonest, they love to live in their depravity, and they engage in complaining and disputing with others. But Paul is telling the saints, this is not what we have been ransomed for. Christ purchased us, and now we who were once dishonest are to be honest. We who were once Uh, Children of wrath are now to be children of God. We who were once complainers are to now be content. We who were quick to dispute are now to be slow to speak. We who were once children of darkness are now children of light. You see, Paul is telling us as Christians, our lives are to be diametrically opposed to this crooked and twisted generation. And in obedience to the Lord, Paul says, we will shine as lights in this darkened world. Christ our Savior, being the very light, brought light to men, and yet men rejected the light for they loved darkness. 
Herein lies another way in which Paul says that we as Christians are to be in contrast to this world. We are to love light and we are to hate darkness. This means that we love that which is holy and pure and true and reject all that is evil and impure and false. This is what John says in his epistle. 1 John chapter 5, verse 5 through 8, he says that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. You see, brothers and sisters, we are to walk in the light of our Lord. We by nature are not bright and are not shining. We are made bright by being in union with Christ, by having His Word implanted into our hearts. And so what are we to do as a result of this? Well, Jesus tells His disciples in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but they put it on a stand and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And so Paul reminds the saints to live as light of this world because when you hide that light, you live like the world. You, you put that light under a basket when it ought to be on a stand for all to see. They cannot see that light when you live in darkness, will, nor will they glorify God because of it. Rather, when you live like this world, you give opportunity for this world to, to mock and to blaspheme our Lord. Yet we have been called to glorify God. And how do we glorify God? To not live like the world. I open with the question, uh, what makes Christians look like the world? Well, what makes us look like the world is when we live in darkness like the world. When we allow ourselves to become complainers and disputers. When we stir up dissension within the body of Christ. But Paul said that we have been called out of this world as children of God. Called out from this twisted and crooked generation to be lights in a darkened world. And in this way we have fellowship with God and we glorify God. There is more for us to say on this topic, but for the sake of time, we are going to continue the following verses next week. But the question is, do we desire to have such sweet fellowship with God and to have communion with the saints? then we must not walk in darkness of mind and heart. But as Christ died for you so that you may live, live as light for Christ. That you would shine in this perverse and crooked world that they may see the transforming work of God in your lives and glorify Him because of it. Just as the, the, the light shines in the summertime, those rays beat upon our skin. Shine forth in this world as light so that your light might beat upon men that God might use you, that through you He might turn sinners away from darkness into the light, that He might take that which is misshapen and might make their path straight. Please bow your heads with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before You and we confess our sin in that oftentimes, Lord, we are grumblers. We are disputers. We oftentimes live like this twisted and crooked generation. We oftentimes live 
in darkness and in sin. Yet, Father, You have given us the Spirit. You have sent Your Son to die upon the cross so that we may be Your adopted sons and daughters. You have called us out of this wicked world to live as children of God. And so, Father, we pray and ask that Your Spirit would aid us in living as such, that we would not be complainers and grumblers, that we would not seek our own benefit and interest, but that we would seek the benefit and interest of our neighbor, that we would be those who have conviction, who would not allow others to tarnish the good name of our brothers and sisters, but rather you would give us boldness, you would give us courage, that in those times we would stand up for their good name. And so, Father, we pray, Lord, that you would apply this to us. Lord, that your Spirit would teach us these things so when opportunity arises, Father, we do that which pleases you and that we do not disobey and transgress your holy law. And so, Father, we ask that you would grant us this day grace and courage and the power to carry out all that you have called us to. And we ask all this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.